Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's what happens to man. It's just a suggestion of him turning his life over to be managed and directed, owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like he says, no, I run my life. No one knows better how to run my life than me. Thank you very much. Just leave me alone. No one's going to be my boss. I'm going to direct my life. See, that's pride rising up to the surface in a man at the suggestion that they're no good at running their own lives. You know, in my business... I meet a lot of people who are in business for themselves. In many cases, they're in business for themselves because they will not accept to have a boss over them, to direct them, to tell them what to do. Man just doesn't know that he doesn't have what it takes to direct his own life. He just doesn't know that. But Jeremiah came to this conclusion, and he says, I know it. And we don't know what happened in Jeremiah's life, but it was probably from some personal experience when he said in Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah 10, 23, Jeremiah said, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, there's no, there was no doubt in Jeremiah's mind. He had tried to run his own life. He came to this firm personal knowledge, whatever it was that happened, that just wasn't going to work. It's not in man to run his own life. And even for a Christian, this truth does not come easily. Unfortunately, it's got to be a painful process that the Christian comes through this this conclusion. It's got to be the school of hard knocks, just like it happened to the Egyptians. They had to watch their own lives. They had to watch their own cattle come to a, be wasted away, come to a point of death, where they come to the point of accepting for their cattle to become the property of Pharaoh. And that's what happens in the life of a Christian. He receives the Lord as a Savior, but not as Lord. And he may say that, oh, no, he's my Lord, but not really. And it's in this case that the Christian is like the Egyptian he, who buys food with his money and says, okay, this is only temporary. I'll get myself out of this mess. Still got my work ability, got my cattle, got my land. Okay, I'm, I'm drained down on money, but I don't need to turn over my whole life over the direction and management of Joseph. I don't need to turn my whole life over the direction and management, the Christian says, of God. I just had a little dry patch, and I'll be fine running my own life just as soon as I get past this. So Joseph, he sells the Egyptian food for their money, and then he waits for that to run out. He's patient, and then for their cattle to be half dead from starvation, and then they come and they, they come running and saying that they're dying, they're dying. So we see them bringing their cattle in verse 17. They brought their cattle unto Joseph. Joseph gave them bread for exchange for it. goes through the list of the horses and the flocks and the cattle, the herds, the asses. And he fed them with bread for their, all their cattle for that year. So what we see here is the Egyptians bring to Joseph their cattle, and it includes all these, these animals. And now these animals have become 
Pharaoh's property. But notice there are two supplies of bread in verse 17. What are they? What are the two supplies of bread in verse 17? Verse 17 speaks about one supply and it speaks about another supply. What's the first supply? The people. Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses. All right, the the second supply, the last part of verse 17 is what? For the animals. He fed them with bread for all their cattle that year. Okay, now you look at that last statement that I just read. See something strange? Do you see anything strange about that last statement? He fed them with bread for all their cattle that year. Let me, let me give you an analogy. Okay, let's say that I, I buy a car from Tom, and it's got no gas in it. And I want Tom to just keep taking care of my car that I bought from him. And I say, Tom, here's some money for you to fill the car. Okay, with gas, right? Now, what I say to Tom Tom, here's money for you to fill your car up with gas. Or would I say, Tom, here's money for you to fill my car up with gas. It'd be my car because I bought the car, right? Now, the cattle has been bought, already been bought, right? And it's no longer the people's. So how does the Bible describe the cattle? Pharaoh's cattle, Joseph's cattle, or, or the people's cattle? But it says their cattle. Now, so it's interesting because Joseph did not take the cattle away from the people. He said, okay, you know, bring all your cattle here to these stockyards. He left the cattle with the people, but the cattle had been bought and there was no longer the people's cattle. It was really Pharaoh's cattle, but the cattle are referred to in verse 17 as their cattle, even though the cattle was no longer their cattle, but there's referred to it that way. Why? Because it appeared as though the cattle was still their cattle because they continued to be at their places and everything looked like nothing had really changed. But they were really, in fact, Pharaoh's cattle. But it was the people who were taking care of Pharaoh's cattle, and so it looked like the cattle was still theirs. Now, that's a picture of what happens in the Christian who surrenders his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. On the surface, it looks like nothing has really changed. It looks like he still owns his own life. But in reality, as with the cattle, his life is no longer his own. And he no longer decides what he's going to do in life. And now the Christian, he looks to the Lord Jesus for direction, for decisions on what he should do in life. Because just as with the cattle was bought, the Christian has been bought also. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So you don't own yourself. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Looks like we're, we are our own. The cattle look like it was their cattle. Looks like our body is under our own ownership, but in reality, we've been purchased just like the cattle was purchased, but we've been purchased, we've been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is we don't own our body. It's now owned by the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the cattle were now, they were cared for by by Joseph, but Pharaoh now owns them. And this is the picture from this, because not only us individuals, We've all individually, if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been bought by his blood, but also the church as a whole. It says in, in Acts 20, 28, Acts 20, 28, take heed, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made the overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. See, what the Lord Jesus Christ used as the purchase money to buy us was his blood. That was the purchase money. 
And the value of that money is described in, in 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed or purchased. You weren't redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the cattle's now owned by Pharaoh, and the people no longer have to worry about food for their cattle because it's Pharaoh's cattle. Yeah, and Tom doesn't have to worry about filling up the car with gas anymore. I'll fill it up because it's my car, right? Okay, so the cattle now have a continuous supply of food because it's Pharaoh's property. Then came the next year in verse 18. Now when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, we will not hide it from my Lord how our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. So the year is ended, the food that they got for the cattle is gone, and once again, the people come to to Joseph with this complete trust, this complete openness, when they say in verse 18, we won't hide it, we will not hide it from my Lord, how our money is spent, etc. This is a painful process. This is a painful process which is going on. First, the people give their money to Joseph, which represents their security, Oh, I got money in the bank. I got money under my bed. I got money in some hole. That's their security. And it's easy for Christians to, to pray a prayer, but it's not so easy to give, to give up, give our money to the Lord. And that's a step that, uh, that's a very important step in the total dedication road, total dedication to the Lord Jesus. And then, and then the people yielded up their cattle their cattle to Joseph, that represents their ability to make money. That represents their, their, their work and the ability to work. It's not easy for a Christian to give his abilities to the Lord. That's another step in the process of total dedication to the Lord Jesus. So now the Egyptians, they find themselves just stripped down to nothing, just their bodies and their land, and, 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 and they throw themselves again on the mercy of Joseph, that they say in verse 19, wherefore shall we hide before thine eyes, both we and our land? Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, before we and our land? Buy us. See, that is their proposal. Buy us in our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh and give us seed. We may live, not die, that the land may be not desolate. So again, first, they come and do what everybody else did from Cain and every other place. They bought food with their money, all gone, then Joseph said, okay, sell me your cattle. They, they did that. All gone. Now they get the idea. And they come and they say, buy us in our land. It wasn't Joseph who said that. It was them. But again, they say, we're about to die before your eyes. So the people make this proposal. So now the people are coming to the same conclusion as the prodigal son. The prodigal son realizes that his father's servants, his father's servants, uh, were provided for because they were his father's servants. And the prodigal son just wants to be one of his father's servants and be cared for along with the other of his father's servants. And the people have seen now how their cattle has been provided for, and as soon as they were transferred, as soon as the cattle was transferred over to belonging to Pharaoh, and then they didn't have to worry about their cattle and the cattle were fed and because they were no longer their cattle. It was Pharaoh's cattle, and Pharaoh takes care of his cattle. And just like the prodigal son, he envies his father's servants because they have plenty to eat from the vision of his father. And so the Egyptians envied their cattle. They had plenty to eat 
from the provision of Joseph. And that's why the Egyptians now come up with this proposal themselves that Joseph should just buy them, that they should become the property uh, of Pharaoh and their land so that they can be cared for like Pharaoh through Joseph cares for what he owns. And the people want to be owned by, by Pharaoh. The people want their land to be owned by Pharaoh. You know, it's uh, before I got married, my wife told me before we got married, she said she watched, she watched how carefully I took care of my stuff. She watched how I folded my shirts. She said, put them away. I was kind of an, a needaholic and organized. Anyway, and she watched how my car was clean. And she watched how my, my, she looked at the things in my glove compartment and saw how they were all taken care of. And then she said she had confidence that if she married me, that I would take care of her like I take care of my stuff. That's a picture of the conclusions that the Egyptians had to come to. They came to this. They saw that when they took care of their cattle, that they didn't make provision for their cattle. And so the cattle were starving to death. But when Joseph had them and took them into ownership by Pharaoh, they were taken care of. They were all getting fat again. So just like the prodigal son not only thought how the pigs were being better cared for in comparison to him, and he envied the pigs, but the prodigal son thought of his father's servants, and he realized they take care. And that's when he comes back to his father in Luke, Luke 15, 19, he comes back to his father and he says, make me as one of thy hired servants. What's he saying? He's, a, he's, he's saying that he wants to be under the rule of his father. He says, make me as one of thy hired servants. It's the same thing as the Egyptians are saying in verse 19, Genesis 47, 19, verse 19, buy us and our land and we will be servants unto Pharaoh. Both the prodigal son and the Egyptians realized they failed when they ruled their own lives. And both the prodigal son and the Egyptians realized that the hired servants under the rule of his father, the cattle under the rule of, of Joseph, were better off. And that's why they wanted to just give up the sovereignty of their own lives and come unto the rule of another. That's a picture of man. Man starts off by taking this deep breath, filling his chest up and saying, now I'm ready to run my life got out of my parents' home, and no one's going to tell me what to do anymore. So I'm going to stand tall, answerable to no one but myself. And that's pretty much the way the prodigal son and the Egyptians started off. But then the great crash happens, which in the case of both prodigal son and the Egyptians was starvation. It was a famine. And they come to a choice. And the choice is that I continue down the same road. There's a choice. I continue by the same road. I say, you know, I may have lost all, but I still have my pride. And my pride tells me that I'm not going to admit I was wrong. I still every part of myself. I Every morning I kiss my hand. I look in the mirror and I say, you are Tony the tiger, the greatest tiger in all the land. And I'd rather die than eat humble pie. Not me. Well, tragically, that's the road that most people take in life. And that's the road that's described by the Lord Jesus when he says in Matthew 7.13, Matthew 7.13, enter ye in at the straight gate, the very narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. That's why the central message of the Lord Jesus from the moment that he started his ministry, his message was in Matthew 4.17, Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. He says, repent, turn around, do a U-turn. You're going down the wrong road. And that's the choice, continue down the same road or turn around. And if the prodigal son 
had decided to continue down the same road, he would have said, there's no way that I'm going to go back and admit I was wrong. I'd rather die in this pig pen than do that. And tragically, they would have found him dead one day, face down in the pig pen, the prodigal son. And if the Egyptians also had decided to go down the same road and would have said, no way I'm going to go begging. Me? Come begging to Joseph? A Hebrew? Are you kidding? He may have my money. He may have my cattle, but he's not getting me and my land. I'd rather die than to yield myself in the land. And tragically, they would have died on their own land. And if anyone says that today, and unfortunately many do, if anyone says that, there's no way that I'm going to go begging to Jesus for help in my life. Oh, no. I am the self-made man. I love my independence. No one's going to tell me what to do, not even Jesus. And if anybody today makes that decision, tragically, that person finds himself opening his eyes after death, like the rich man described in Luke 16, 23, Luke 16, 23, where it says, in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Abraham afar, Lazarus in his bosom. He cries, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, he may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. But the right road is the road that a child takes when he knows he's wrong. Child has no trouble doing that. Child has no trouble putting out his arms and wanting to be taken up and helped, which is why the Lord Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be like a child. That's what he said in Matthew 18, 3. He said, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's a very serious statement of what he just said. Very serious. We're talking about getting in or not getting in to heaven and talking about becoming uh, humble like little children. That's saying there's no place for the proud in heaven. And when you look at those who are proud, if you look at those who are cast into hell, as you can see them in Matthew 7, 21, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name? And thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto him, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. See, when a person dies, and you kind of picture the Lord Jesus asked him, why should I let you into heaven? There's one word that if he starts off with is an instant being cast into hell. It's a very simple word. It's only one letter, I. If a person starts off by saying, I, I did many wonderful works. I was a good person. I did so and so. Immediately, he's cast into hell. But when a person dies, and then the Lord Jesus asks him, why should you let him to heaven? There's only one word to start with. It's not the word I. It's the word you. It's the word you died for my sins. That's why. You saved me from my sins. That's why. You said that if I come to you as a dirty, rotten sinner on earth, begging you to save me from my sins, that you wouldn't cast me away. You wouldn't reject me. See, the emphasis is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see that with the Egyptians. When the Egyptians come, why should we die in thy presence? Verse 19, wherefore shall we die before thine eyes? See, they're asking Joseph, look at us. Look at us, because the Egyptians knew Joseph cared. He really cared. And they knew that Joseph was not the kind of person who says, well, who cares? I don't care. That's your problem. That wasn't Joseph. They knew that Joseph was a compassionate person who would feel their pains, the pain of starvation. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's compassionate. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.18, Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself hath suffered 
being tempted, he is able to succor or come to the aid of those that are tempted. In Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15 says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. What was in all points tempted like was we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why do we come boldly to the Lord Jesus Christ for help? It's because he's, we know he suffered personally. We know because he suffered personally. And that gives him a certain quality of compassion from his own personal experience, his personal suffering. And that's what gives us the boldness to come to him. We come to the Lord Jesus for help and we're saying something like this. Lord, let's say a person is in the midst of a divorce, for example, ultimate betrayal. Lord, I know that you suffered rejection. I know that you suffered betrayal by your friend, by Judas Iscariot. Please have compassion on me now because I'm being rejected. I'm being betrayed and I'm hurting. And it's because we know he suffered like us that gives us the boldness to come to him because he knows by his own personal experience what we're suffering. And that's the way it was for the Egyptians. Egyptians were very bold when they came to Joseph in this verse 15. Why should we die in thy presence? Give us bread. Very bold when they said in verse 18, we will not hide it from my Lord. Very bold when they said in verse 19, where shall shall we die before thine eyes? They're bold because they knew that Joseph was compassionate, because they knew that Joseph had personally suffered. They came to Joseph saying, Joseph, we know that you know what it's like to suffer and be on the verge of death. Because we know what happened to you when you were in Pharaoh's prison and you felt like you're going to die. So please have compassion on us and help us because we're suffering now from the starvation and we're about to die. We need your help. And as Joseph heard the Egyptians cry to him for help, he had a special affinity, a special affinity for their starving Egyptians because Joseph had been in the worst prison, Pharaoh's prison in Egypt, and he wondered if he's going to live another day. And so it gives him this special affinity for them when they say, we're dying. You know, every day, cancer patients come to scan bodies imaging and therapy in Takati. And I look at them, and I feel a special affinity to them because I've been where they are. Because I know, I know all the feelings that, that they had having been told by their doctor, you have cancer and it's fatal. Because I had those same feelings when I was told the same thing, you have cancer and it's fatal. And it's just like Joseph had this special affinity with the Egyptians because he sucked where they were. That's a special affinity. A special affinity. I know the, I know those patients. They need God. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we make a special wall for the patients that they see the, the collage of words on this wall. They see the first thing you see when they walk in. The, the wall says, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, hope, peace, strength, encouragement. And then a whole train of scriptures in every room as they travel in their course there and to show them how to have all that in the time of need of suffering. Well, it's Joseph. Joseph is responding to them because he feels their pain. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the life of Joseph, Lord, and that all you did in his life is so wonderful to read these things. Lord, thank you how the Egyptians found help in Joseph as their man who had compassion. Thank you for how we find hope and help in you because of what you suffered for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 